As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio. This is my second time recording this this intro. Second and hopefully final. Paul, your computer keeps freezing during the show. What's going on? You know, Sam, it's funny because for the first year and a half of this podcast, your computer was just an absolute mess. Mm-hmm. It would take 20 minutes to start up. It would yep. not work sometimes. You didn't have a Y key. No Y. All sorts of stuff. And then and mine was functioning perfectly. Then you finally got a new computer. I did it. And mine just stopped working well. It's like the gods want allocation disorder to always have some level of insecurity when recording. Like something might go wrong. It's a zero-sum game, clearly, between our computers. You know, one of us can be good. The other one can't be. Yet another sign that we're too closely linked. I mean... It's like our computers are like E.T. and Elliot, basically. Perhaps we shouldn't have put disorder in the name of our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit poetic, a little bit too poetic for my liking. Anyway, we have what I think to be an interesting show today. Uh, We are recording on a Thursday afternoon instead of our usual Thursday evening block. Paul wrote a fascinating story about Inter-Miami. I picked up, I think, a secondary assist on on that one with some contributions, but but Paul did a ton of work uh, to get that one over the line, and there were a lot of interesting relevations in there. I know we talk about Inter-Miami a lot on this show, but we're going to talk a little bit more about them today, and I think we're going to put a little bit of a new spin on things. We're also going to talk a little bit about some expansion news out of Las Vegas, some news out of Lugano, Switzerland, slash chicago illinois yes those two places are linked listener um and some impressions from you know the mls action and 
USMNT Euro action uh, going on here ahead of the opening of the international window in less than two weeks. What are we, 10 days away? We're close. Uh, that's crazy. A quick programming note on that front, by the way. Both Paul and I will be traveling for all three of those qualifiers. So we're going to do a couple allocation disorder episodes live and in person um, with each other. Not with you. Sorry. Um, we wanted that's to do exciting. live allocation disorder, but COVID is not participating. They're not I mean, helping. Paul, Paul, let's be honest. We wouldn't have gotten our together enough to... Oops, Joe, bleep that. We wouldn't have gotten our stuff together enough to actually pull that off. <laughs> well, I think, you know... It's like we're like that meme, like our fall plans and then, you know, yeah. Delta variant. Yeah. It's like, but we need a third window in that meme, which is like our level of disorganization. Yeah. Just like us in general. Yeah, we should. <laughs> yeah. You know? And instead of fall plans, just like life, you know, <laughs> yeah. just, just life. Definitely. Um, anyway, actually, though, I now that we're talking about this, I am curious if anyone out there is listening and would be interested in attending something like that in the future, like a live show or something like that with an audience and you being in that audience, let us, let us know, like for real. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious what the appetite for something like that would be, uh, potentially down the road. So keep us in the loop there. Uh, Paul, I mentioned it off the top. You wrote the story about Miami. We've talked a lot about Miami on this show. We've talked about the dysfunction. You went into some of that dysfunction in the piece. We don't need to spend a lot of time there. We've covered that ground for the most part in this space, but there are some interesting ownership kind of details that you were able to uncover walk us through walk us through some of those and walk us through what you think is worth walking through um about that piece that you wrote uh earlier this week yeah well i think the most important thing to pull out of this story was one line coming out of the lead which is that the the way mls found out about blaze matweedy is pretty crazy and Sam, we had heard this for some time from, I think we were up in the double digits of number of sources telling us this, and we were just trying to really lock it down. Um, but um, the manner in which MLS found out about the, the violation was because co-owner Marcelo Claret told MLS Commissioner Don Garber. Um, he told Garber that Miami was in violation of the MLS rules and regulations, according to sources I spoke with. And he told him about Matweedy. And once that violation was known by the league. They opened an investigation. And in the course of that investigation, as has been previously reported, and as was in Major League Soccer's um, press release about the sanctions, um, Jorge Mas and Inter Miami opened up their books and revealed, um, well, went beyond opening up their books. They they let the league know about four other payments on the side that altered players' budget hits. This This blew my mind. When you were kind of telling me about it um, and when, you know, when you were reporting it out, when I read it and, you know, it got some traction out there, but it didn't get enough. This is crazy, man. Like this is an owner telling on his own team effectively. Yeah. yeah and I, and think, I, I don't know. I've never heard of something like that. No, I mean, I think when you look at the lead, you kind of get an idea why, right? You know, they were in Major League Soccer's headquarters for a reason. There was a significant amount of disagreement within that ownership group, a significant amount of tension within that ownership group between Claret and Moss and David Beckham um, and Masayoshi Son as well. Um, and so, you know, and we know where that's gone since, right? We've reported previously that Claret and Son are looking to sell their stake in the team. Um, maybe Moss will buy it out. You know, our colleague Matt Slater reported that Ma the Moss brothers own an option on that. They can they can purchase that stake for $270 million. So perhaps that's the solution that's found. But I think we should acknowledge that 
basically you have to kind of connect the dots here and see that that tension, that disagreement that was happening likely is what led to Marcelo Claré talking to Don Garber about the management of the team yeah. and, you know, essentially the fact that they were breaking the rules. But what, you know, I think that that line in the story, that detail matters not as much for Miami as for the entire league. And it matters because when the league came out and made this statement, they made it seem as though this was the exception to the rule, that Miami only happened in Miami, that this stuff doesn't happen around the league. We, of course, in our first story about Miami reported that that's not true, that in right. fact, this kind of stuff happens in the league all the time. And in fact, I quoted another general manager in this story saying, a lot of teams get creative. Miami got too creative. And I guess the question <laughs> is, how much cheating is too much cheating? You know, is there a difference between paying a guy three million on the side to make him cap compliant and paying a guy a hundred thousand on the side to make him cap yeah. compliant? I mean, this is this is the MLS version of baseball's unwritten rules right here. Right. And so yeah. you know what we what we have to consider here is there were five roster violations on Inter Miami's roster. All five agreements had been approved by the player department by Major League Soccer in the headquarters. Mm-hmm. None of the five had been flagged as anything being wrong with them. None of or the determined. five maybe they were flagged at the time, but they didn't. They didn't investigate yeah, deeply. They approved and them. They, they played they, yeah, the they entire season exactly. or half the season in the case of a Tweedy, and none of them were flagged going into the next season until Marcelo Claré told Garber about this payment on the side from a Tweedy, and until Moss handed over the paperwork on the other payment on the side. Mm-hmm. In other words. MLS has a set of rules that are essentially unenforceable. It's like an honor system. Yeah. You're not going to, to your point, Sam, you're not going to have instances often of an owner going to the league and saying, hey, just thought you guys should know I'm paying this guy on the side. (laughs) I don't see Merritt Paulson doing that. Yeah, I don't think any owner is really going to go to the league don't see like, jimmy haslam doing that one no so so what does that mean sam i mean for me in the course of this entire reporting about this about miami and what went wrong and all these interesting details and some of the stuff that i was trying to get confirmed that didn't make it into this piece but like all of this mess that's happening and this disagreements and all these people making decisions and you know changing strategies or whatever that all is focused on one team. That all impacts one fan base, one roster, one front office. This detail speaks volumes about an issue that the league has and a major question that remains coming out of the Matuidi investigation. Does the league intend to address the fact that this investigation, in my view, shows that there's no way to enforce their own rules. That this cap is, you know, I, and this cap is unenforceable. And 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 what makes it even more difficult is the number of buckets that exist. So these teams aren't just trying to fit people under a cap; they're mm-hmm. trying to fit numbers into these different buckets, and right. that's creating more opportunities to break the rules. And I just wonder, as we wrote before, and as I think both of us have had conversations since with people around the league, is the league going to examine itself and say, okay, our owners are 
building hundreds of millions of dollars worth of facilities. Our owners are paying hundreds of millions of dollars in expansion fees. Our owners are um, aggressively shopping in the transfer market, as you just reported. They want to spend. They're billionaires. They have more financial heft than almost any league in the world. Yeah. Maybe yet, it, maybe it maybe literally any league in the world. Right. Maybe the Premier League, maybe not. Maybe the Russian League, maybe not. If you, if you go top to bottom in the Premier League versus MLS, maybe this is a story we should write, actually, <laughs> um, and just compare the ownership groups from the two. I'd be curious. Yeah, see who and, has and the higher net worth. Yet, the one thing that hasn't changed is the roster rules. And you can look at Young Money and say, oh, there that's an introduction to more spending. And it is. Your story just indicated that. But what it really is is another area of spending with really strict restrictions on that spending. And so now you have to look at every single young money player and say, are we sure that guy's making 612500 or less? Yeah. Are we sure that, you know, that over the average life of that contract, if they're coming on loan, you know, if they're coming from one city football group team in South America to another, that that salary <laughs> definitely is. Or, or that they didn't. Or that a club didn't reroute some of a transfer fee to a player to kind of work around a salary restriction. How can you ever – so these buckets are creating these dilemmas is essentially what I'm trying to say. And, and, and Exacerbating. And violation right? is indicative of that. It's indicative of the fact that you can't really enforce it. Yeah. I mean I think I think police maybe is a better word there than enforce, right? Because they're going to enforce when they find the violations. It's just hard to find them, right? Have they and found them? Besides this. I mean, not that we know of, right? There's never really been a punishment before. So there was the Gio Dos Santos situation, but that wasn't really finding anything. It wasn't a surprise that the Galaxy had four DPs. That we all knew that was that was happening. But I don't I mean, I don't know. I think every league with a set of rules like MLS, whether it's in soccer or outside is going to have issues like this, right? There are always going to be ways to get around the rules. And I don't think that's any fault of any particular league, right? You sort of enter into a, you know, there's a social contract, right? That the people who are competing in these leagues are going to act in good faith and not cheat. But there's also like a literal contract that every, I think it's owner, managing owner, club president and club CBO, Chief Business Officer and Chief Soccer Officer sign that say that they will abide by the the roster rules under punishment of potential termination and a serious, serious, serious fine. Like, I think it's $500,000 or something like that. So there's like a literal legal contract. So yes, does MLS need to improve its compliance efforts? Absolutely. Right? It shouldn't come to this, right? The Matuidi situation and the Miami situation, there were real questions that people were asking in real time that MLS didn't have either the ability or desire to investigate. And that needs to change. And the league has said that they are going to change that and that they are going to Im- increase their compliance efforts. Um, I've made some calls on that just earlier, right before we started recording the show. And I'm still waiting to hear back. Um, on whether or not any of those changes have happened yet, right? On whether or not any hires have been made or any employees have been, their responsibilities have shifted or anything like that. So that's still TBD. Um, I mean, I don't know, What can really be done? I mean, if these payments are being made to family members of players or We can't answer that question, right? Because we don't know what's being done now in terms of that stuff. We don't know the baseline. I'm sure they can, I'm sure the league could make it harder for teams to cheat. 
right? Can they say, can they prevent it entirely? No. If you have a motivated cheater, if you have a motivated club that wants to bend the rules and wants to break the rules, they're going to be able to find a way to do that. Well, no one's no one's going to break the rules without motivation. I mean, all of these teams that are doing it, and you and I have heard multiple teams, you know, and it's just a matter of like having the sourcing or having the direct evidence, right? We're in the same position as the league. You hear all this stuff and you can't really do anything about it because unless you have evidence of it, you know, you can't really report it. You can't put it out there. But, you know, this is not something that... I shouldn't say it wasn't shocking. What happened with Matuidi was shocking in just kind of how much money was being spent on the side. But yeah. the other stuff of, you know, a six-figure agent fee here or there, absolutely not. You know, and, no. and, and when people are talking, I mean, it's kind of discussed casually around the league. It's not yeah. discussed as though it's some big deal. It's like, yeah, I mean, that happens. You figure out a way. You give a guy a marketing contract or, hey, maybe it's a, uh, you know, maybe it's, the uh, off-book agent, agent fee or has yeah to maybe be the most hey we, we pay yeah. an agent fee through another company on the side or not even you pay it i mean as you know my interview with Jorge Mas in June you know the, these payments you pay it from Inter Miami and you just don't report yeah. it you know yeah. i mean you don't have to do that much if you're not showing where those payments are going or if you're paying it to another company so it, it's just very very difficult i think to have a compliance department that really, truly can do something. All of these owners have different companies. You know, there's so many different ways to structure deals. It's very difficult. And look, I, I know that you, what you say all the time is, you know, there, whatever you make the rules, someone will try to find a way to overstep it. Yeah. But I do think that there's some level of simplifying the spend so that the the cheating is only happening in one way, right? Yeah, like, I, I agree with that, yeah. You know, th- these buckets are creating places where people are feeling makes, like they're forced to it makes cheat. It more, it makes it more opaque, too. It makes it easier to hide stuff. Yeah, honestly. because you, you're not, you know, for example, Young Money is a really good example of this. You know, you're you're telling these teams, okay, we want you to spend on young players. Simultane- which is already difficult to hit on young players. You know, it's very – look around the league history. There aren't a ton of young foreign players who have come into the league – on high money and performed well, and even fewer that have been sold on, right? So you're telling them, go and do this really difficult thing that's going to put your job on the line, chief soccer officer, and is going to have your owner saying, I want a return on this investment because the league is telling me this is all about ROI. And then you're telling them, oh, but also the salary has to be underneath 612.5. So now, even if you find the right guy, that guy better be making this number or less or else they can't fit into that bucket. So let's say you go and find a really good player in South America and that player is making five, six, seven, eight over four years. They're not going to come to you on loan or on a transfer and take a, a, a hit in pay. You know, the, and so then those GMs are looking and saying, okay, how can we alter these numbers? How can we structure it so that a transfer fee includes an agreement on the side with the team that we're buying from that they're going to execute an extra percentage of the transfer fee to the player so that the salary that we give the league looks lower than what the actual compensation is? Sure. That's that's what you're opening up by the specificity of this rule, and that yeah, those are the well, areas that MLS can. The the more rules you create, the more way there, ways rules there are to break. Right? Or reason why you have <laughs> to, to put break it simply, them, yeah. 
So, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you on that front. I just like, I, I don't know. I, I think the league, obviously there are some holes, obviously they need to improve their compliance efforts, but there's only so much they can do in my opinion. Right. And if you have a team that wants to cheat, they're going to be able to figure out a way to do it. And I, I don't know. I don't know how you solve the problem, man. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. Right. Because MLS is defined in so many ways by these rules. Right. Like we talk, this is what this show is all about. <laughs> right. How MLS is defined by, by these rules, both past, present and future versions of the league. And, but the fact that they've, I, I don't know, the fact that they've proven to be kind of, it's a little bit of a house of cards. Right. Like the fact that they've kind of proven to be so easily broken and so hard to find that they actually were broken. It sort of shatters the illusion a little bit, right? Kind of through the looking glass a little bit here. Um, and I don't know. I think we talked about this on previous shows and maybe even in some of our writing, but I think our hope with this whole Miami scandal was that the league would take a look and say, okay, maybe we should reevaluate whether or not we need these things at all, right? Um, obviously, that's that's not really what's going to be happening here. Uh, but I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't really see it changing all that much. I think the league will. I think it'll hire some hire some lawyers, probably increase its compliance efforts. Maybe have some more sunshine on all of the deals that are going down, and all of, maybe increase the punishments for violators to deter people. But at the end of the day, I keep saying it: if someone wants to cheat, they're gonna. I mean, that's what that's what the punishment for Paul McDonough was, right? Suspended for two years, career likely over in many ways. He got hit harder than anyone. You know, Jorge Mott's getting fined mm-hmm. 250K is nothing. Every other owner cleared of wrongdoing. You know, the team got hit hard, right? So the owner maybe thinks, okay, we're set back a few years and that really will deter owners. Yeah. But Paul McDonough was suspended as long as he was in part to be a deterrent for everyone else, to have every other GM yeah, think twice make him escape about doing sure. it. But, you know, if you're a GM and you're reading the Miami story, or frankly, they didn't need to because we heard from so many different people around the league, you know, what I am <laughs> right. And you're confident your own owner isn't going to tell on you. Then right. then does it really deter you? That's And, and the answer is probably not. Yeah. Probably not. <sighs> I guess don't burn that bridge with the owner, right? <laughs> Maybe that's the lesson. <laughs> what, what does it matter? The owner is going to be flipping on himself. He's not going to do that. He's going to see the punishment Miami got that uh, hurt the team. Just you hope if your well. team is owned by multiple people that they don't get into a fight. <laughs> I don't know. We're, only work for sole clubs that are owned by one individual. <laughs> Maybe that's the lesson if you're a GM. I, I, I don't know. It's it's a bizarre complicated situation i have a feeling that there will be more to come from this down the road hopefully maybe, we can continue reporting on maybe it. not I I, sam i i feel like the league wants all discussion about blaze matweedy and inter miami and cheating and cap compliance to go away that they would be perfectly happy saying we issued our punishment and we are we feel confident in our compliance department, we're, we've made a couple hires, and that's all that we're going to say going forward, and that nothing will actually change. That's what I believe is the ideal for MLS, and that's where I, that's my guess. I don't know how much more we'll hear other than, yeah, we made a couple hires to our compliance department. Yeah, I mean, the league isn't going to want to push this narrative. I, I understand that. You know? But I, I don't even like, know that they're going to change rules. I, I, I just wonder about the actual appetite, you know, to to 
alter anything that would make it easier to spend money for owners who want to spend money. Yeah, well, I don't. I mean, I think they'll keep going down the road they're going down. I think they'll just do some compliance things, and that'll be that. Speaking of that'll be that, I think we can call time on this discussion unless you want to have anything else. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with some MLS expansion talk. Uh, some, I guess, MLS expansion talk in more ways than one. We'll call it that way. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We are done talking about Miami. Don't worry, listeners. I know. You want to get out of Florida. It's hot. It's August. No one wants to be there right now. Don't worry. We're gone. Done. We're going to another place that's really pleasant in the summertime. Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Paul, some news emerged. Dry <laughs> how, about that, it's a dry how about that segue? Huh? <laughs> Proud of myself. I don't plan any of these things. They just happen. A story came out earlier on Thursday that a group comprised of billionaires, Wes Edens and Nasef Sawiris, who I hope I just pronounced that name correctly, who co-own Aston Villa have filed a trademark for a prospective Major League Soccer team in Las Vegas. Wes Edens also is a co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, who, of course, just won the NBA championship. And the name, Paul, have you seen the name? Am I going to break this news to you? Did you see it? I saw the name on Reddit a couple days ago, and then I completely forgot I saw it on Reddit until this story came out, and then I was angry at myself. Okay, so it's it's you know you're 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 fitting in with the name then you're a real villain the Las Vegas villains, um, which I don't know I I kind of like it uh. <laughs> I love it I love it because it's really going to get announced as Las Vegas FC so we got to love the villains while they're the villains you know that yeah that's correct um, so or maybe CF Las Vegas who knows Deportivo Las maybe Vegas maybe it'll be Las Vegas City Football Soccer Club all caps which parts all, all caps. caps? All of it. I I can't talk about this enough. It's very off topic. But St. Louis City SC, the city is all caps. And in every single official communication from that club, every single mention, whether it's St. Louis City SC or if they're just saying city in the press releases, it's always capitalized. I'm like, what? Stop screaming at me, first of all. And second of all, why? Like, I don't know. I guess I'm talking about St. Louis on a, uh, for no reason at all so maybe that's why all publicity is good publicity uh, it's so dumb it's the dumbest thing i've ever seen i have a I have a feeling we're going to be talking a lot about st louis city on this podcast in future years that's all i'm going to say will you say it correctly st louis city st louis city sc sc maybe we should just whisper the other part and just like say city really loud moving forward st louis city sc <laughs> <laughs> 
I wonder if that's we're totally sidetracked now. We were supposed anyway, to be talking about the villains, Sam. The villains, yes. So Vegas is obviously a candidate for the what is it, thirtieth expansion slot that was sort of semi vacated by Sacramento, who are maybe interested in in getting back into that spot, but they don't have an ownership group yet. Um, Vegas, I mean, it's been reported that it's likely to be Vegas. That's everything that we've heard is that it's likely to be Vegas. I think the league wants to be there for a lot of reasons, right? It's global city in many ways it brings people together from all over the world everyone knows vegas um it's a really growing population it's a growing population it's a population that likes soccer um they've they've sold out many games there for mexican teams for mexico national team the gold cup final was just there so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes i think i mean certainly my expectation is that team 30 will be there um and it's just kind of a question of which ownership group is going to get it right um so i don't know what what do you think about you you told me you like villains but what do you do you disagree with anything i just said no i mean i think our reporting as we were we were still reporting was that you know vegas looked likely to be the 30th team and i think you and i both heard you know um i don't know we can say it out loud yet but like what the timeline likely looks like on that happening um certainly we've seen the support of major league soccer for that market they've stuck the league's cup final in that market for of course how could i forget um, a marquee event for major league soccer a big push that they're making gold cup final was there so there there's a lot of energy around las vegas as a market they have the political support you know i've received multiple quotes on the record from the mayor's office um, stating unequivocally that they want major league soccer in the city Um, Mm -hmm. they have a stadium you know, it's not a, you know, regulation width field, but um, (laughs) is this field regulation size or what? (laughs) You know, it's close, but it's not quite there. It's not the narrowest field in major league soccer. Um, I mean, if you can play a Yankee stadium, you can play at the Raiders stadium. Um, and, and they're going to need an arena that's indoors if you're playing in Las Vegas, obviously. So they've got Mm -hmm. the stadium, they've got the political support. And according to this report, they have a billionaire ownership group, which is a prereq. Almost. I guess I shouldn't quite say that. I don't know for sure what Houston's ownership group um, valuation is. But, you know, typically MLS is looking for whales. They're looking for billionaires to compete in this league. Whales. So they have all three of those. I mean, that's how it's described to me. You know, do, do does this market have a whale or not? And, and Sacramento doesn't. Me, don't they don't know. have a whale and Vegas does. And that – yeah. That's all that matters. As, as, you know, when I first started reporting this story, Sam, both of us did about what was going to happen with Sacramento. Um, early on, we started to call expansion markets that had been involved in the process before and started talking to different sources. And, you know, we I was hearing from one source, I think you were hearing from a source that, okay, this might be a drawn out process. MLS is not really in a rush. You know, they, they're going to take their time to find the right ownership group to make sure they can put it in the right market. And I had one person say very bluntly to me, don't overthink this. You know, the first billionaire that puts his hand up and says, I want to take a team to this market, it's going to happen. And Charlotte's a good example of that. You know, yeah. when there is a billionaire willing to put the money down on the table and say, I want to go in right now. Here's I mean, you, you have to have million. a path to a stadium too. That's sure. But if you have that billionaire, that matters, that outweighs anything else and, and looks like According to this trademark filing, Vegas has a couple billionaires. Yeah. And I don't know. They've obviously done good things with the Milwaukee Bucks, Wes Edens. Uh, Aston Villa has done pretty well here in recent years. Um, And, you know, they can take all that money they just got for Jack Grealish and, 
you know, put it towards an MLS expansion fee so they can then pick, I don't know, your favorite UCF senior in a future expansion draft. It's uh, the world of football is interconnected, Paul, in a beautiful way. So, Sam, we left the state of Florida. Okay, don't bring UCF into this. <laughs> why are you why are you throwing shade on UCF? Your alma saying, mater. You just said we left the state of Florida. Well, I went back. Okay, sue me. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Go Golden Knights. They're not the Golden Knights anymore, Sam. They're just the Knights. They they switched. They switched a long time ago. Well. I'm a UCF original, okay? Um, speaking of the world of football being interconnected, and, and just to put a bow on this Vegas thing, actually, before I do that, I don't think Sacramento has much hope at this point, which is sad for a number of reasons, because they were already in, and they've really supported in USL, and from every single, like, if you want to say, does this city deserve it? Sacramento deserves it. Those fans deserve it more than anyone really they've done so much um but you know the league for better or worse i don't think really wants to be there it's not the sexiest market in the world and there's no owner right now which is the the more the most important thing i think there are some owners that wanted to be there that really felt that market could be successful but yeah if you don't have that whale if you don't have that big owner it's not going to happen but sam let's be be honest with our listeners why are you truly disappointed that sacramento is not going to happen um, there are three people in the world. Well, I should say four, but I'll leave the fourth one out for now. That Sam really wants and cares about in Major League Soccer. You all know very well that knew who Tolo is one of them. Yeah. The second one I'm about to reveal, and the third one I'll reveal later in the show. But the second one is Guy Fieri, who wanted to be a minority <laughs> owner of Sacramento. And Sam, I was like, huge, I have no idea where you're going with Sam this. Has a, Sam is a huge <laughs> Guy Fieri fan. I mean, I cannot. Emphasize you're pronouncing this it first of all. You're pronouncing it incorrectly. Okay, put some respect on Guy Fieri. Put 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 the flair on his name, Paul. Like he puts the flames on his cars and the bleach in his hair and the donkey sauce on every food that he eats. Okay, so just. Just wanted to clear that up. Real but that's quick. you're personally disappointed by not being able to do like everyone's trying to do sit down stories with Matthew McConaughey in Austin. Sam yeah. was already putting calls in for a sit down with Guy Fieri on his ownership of Sacramento. I mean, that's not true, but I should have been. And you know what? Still time. There's still guy time. went guy went to UNLV. He's got roots in Vegas too. Oh, it's not over. Look at Sam it with the biographical information. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who wrote a play about Guy Fieri. I I don't know. He went to my bar in DC and people weren't happy about it. That's all I got. My sister loves Why? Triple D. It it brings a different clientele into a dive bar. Oh, oh, okay. So you guys are just snobs. Guy's just the man of the people. He's just trying to shine some light on diners, drive-ins, and dives. And Paul is apparently too good for that. I I didn't say I had a problem with it. I said some people had a problem with it. Some people at your favorite bar in the world. So it's what does that say about what does that say about you? Huh? My, it says about me that my bar will not change despite whoever goes in it, whether it's Guy Fieri or people who don't like Guy Fieri. I still Listen, love that bar. I mean, your bar is not in Flavortown. That's for damn sure. Um, yeah, don't eat anything at that bar except for tater tots. It's called the tuna <laughs> in DC. Just don't eat anything but the tater tots. All right. All right. We're moving on Guy, from Guy Fieri. I wonder if Guy had the twi- the tots. <laughs> he definitely had the tots. Uh, Moving on from Guy Fieri to uh, news from Chicago and from Switzerland. Um, the fire announced on Wednesday 
that club owner and chairman Joe Mansueto has bought Swiss first division team FC Lugano, which for those curious is a beautiful city in the Italian part of Switzerland, um, which is a small slice of that small mountainous country. There you go. I'm just, I, I don't know why I'm going into this, but here we are. I mean, there's um, a pretty important detail. It's like, it's basically like on Lake Como, right? They, they play yeah. like right by Lake Como. I mean, it's a pretty well, good place. It's to on, team. I think it's on Lake Lugano actually. Uh, but yes, it is close to Como geographically. Yeah. Um, not far away from Milan either. Um, I don't, why do I know all these things? It doesn't make any sense. Imagine if I had space in my brain for something that could make me money instead of stuff like that. Like, Can you think about I like, mean, you're saying that on this uh, podcast. I mean, we talk about it all the time. I mean, my we head spend is in my so hands. much of our time learning about Major League Soccer rules. I just gave biographical details on Guy Fieri. What the hell's wrong with Followed me, by the geographic, you know, value of Lugano in the Swiss League. I'm going to pick up while Sam looks up at the sky <laughs> and pulls his hair out of his head and Tam pops into his head for no reason and he gets even angrier of the things Don't say Tam. O- Don't say Tam to me right now. <laughs> in, his, in his brain. Look, I, I, I think... You know, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I think that we are, because of the results on the field, we we don't talk about this enough. I'm working on a story, I guess you could say. It's been kind of shelved and then going to come back out about <laughs> Joe Mansueto. Um, it's been a process on I this believe, one. <laughs> I believe that, that Joe Mansueto is going to rank, or does currently rank maybe, in the top five maybe even higher than that of ambitious owners in major league soccer. Well, he's not afraid to spend, to spend money with that's a willingness for sure. to spend. He's going to build a new training facility in the city of Chicago. He spent to get out of Bridgeview. He spent to buy the team. He has now spent to buy a team in Switzerland that can be a quote partner club of the Chicago fire to definitely not pay guys to play there first to then come to MLS on, you know, slightly friendlier <laughs> deals that fit within South Cap. That doesn't happen in the league. No. There's a very strong and getting stronger compliance department. Um, I, I don't mean to say that Chicago's doing that. I don't know what Chicago's going to do. But he spent millions of dollars to buy another team. And I think that shows the level of ambition that he has. One thing I'll, well, first I'll say, someone, somebody tweeted, uh, Jordan Gardner tweeted and I responded, you know, what, what has, uh, George Heights done to, you know, indicate Heights and Sebastian Pelzer that they should run a team in Switzerland considering their lack of MLS success? Well, well George Heights successfully won, ran, they did successfully run a team in Switzerland. Well, George Heights did. He, he won eight yeah. consecutive domestic titles, uh, in his eight years at FC Basel. So <laughs> he, he does have a, uh, I, I guess you could call it some experience in the Swiss market and, but I, I do think there is one, one thing that I have a problem with here, which is that he has struggled in MLS. That is a valid point. And mm-hmm. now he will be the sporting director of two clubs at the same time. So they, yeah. they're going to have to rebuild the fire and he struggled to build the first roster. So there, there's probably a little, should be a little bit of valid concern here about is he going to be able to apply the attention necessary to both clubs to, to be ideal. But I, I believe the organizational structure is such that there are going to be there is going to be a director at Lugano and Pelzer obviously is focused on the fire as well. Um and so, you know, I don't think he needs to be involved in the day to day of both clubs. Uh I do think that he's gonna be able to leverage a market he knows very, 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 very well to both field a successful team in Switzerland and also, you know, leverage every inch of it that he can into helping the Chicago fire. So I, I actually am very intrigued 
to see how this works because when we see owners in MLS owning other teams, the MLS team is the small fish, you know, Bologna, yeah. a bigger fish, Man City, Arsenal. obviously, Arsenal, you know, the Red Bull European clubs, the Red Bull European clubs. In this case, the fire are the bigger fish. And that is incredibly unique and incredibly interesting to me. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what Heights does with it, what Mansueto does with it, how they use it, um, what kind of maybe innovative things happen, because this is new. And I, I like new things in MLS. I don't know. Sam, am I crazy here? No, I think it's cool. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely different. It's a different, I mean, this isn't something that we would have seen even five years ago, right? In terms of the MLS club being the big fish, right? It's Switzerland. I don't know a ton about the league. I do know that guys who have come from Switzerland to MLS historically have not done great. Uh, I think of Schkels and Gashi off the top of my head. Uh, Innocent Emegara. Blast from the past there, San Jose Earthquakes, former DP. I think in general, Scandinavia's been pretty hit or miss. Switzerland's not been among Switz- the lower ranks. Switzerland's not in Scandinavia. Well, I, I think like the Scandinavian <laughs> leagues and Swiss League are kind of in a similar <laughs> bucket, I should say. It's not even close to Scandinavia. Yeah, well, what are you talking you about? You know what I'm saying. Those leagues are very similar. This has turned into a geography podcast, and let's just say I am carrying and peeing playing the piano for that geography podcast not speaking (laughs) that great though you're not you're not talking good but you're right switzerland's not in scandinavia however i think that those leagues are put into the same bucket in europe they're the same level and i think in general that level struggles they struggle in mls there's a few exceptions robin load right now has come around a bit from finland Uh, anton timner tinnerholm scandinavia has been okay the swedish league's been okay for mls in my opinion um Anyway, we're way off way off topic again. We're all over the place on this show. I want to go back to something you said in Heights spreading himself thin, right? And the Fire have some experience with this. Uh, Nelson Rodriguez, right? He was hired as GM, and then he was promoted to GM and chief business officer, president of the club. And he had to run both sides, business and sporting. And he was pretty open about the fact that, hey, this can't be a permanent thing. Like, I can't do this all by myself. And he can't. No one really can. It's two full-time jobs. I mean, the there aren't enough hours in the in day. The story about Miami was Paul McDonough yeah. was spread too thin. You know, that people felt like he could have done a better job as a sporting director so, if he wasn't trying to build a stadium yeah. and training facility at the same time. And, and, uh, and you know, how is how does that not apply here? Right? Like, I understand that they have other people on staff and Heights can maybe be kind of the governor of both and oversee both. And you can have people running the day to day of both. But he was hired to run the Chicago Fire Sporting Department initially. And he did a bad job off the bat. Right. Look at what the Fire have been since the start of the 2020 season. They've been a bad team. And now you're going to say, hey, here's a promotion. And, you know, like. This team, this roster that needs serious, serious work, serious work this offseason. They have a ton of guys out of contract. They're going to have to rebuild big time. Now you're going to have your focus in two places. And I'm not saying he's not going to give the proper amount of attention to Chicago. And I'm not saying that he's not going to work as hard as he humanly can. Right. Because I'm sure he will. I'm sure he's committed. Right. And all of that stuff. But it's just like, all right, you're throwing more on his plate when you haven't at all figured out what's going on in MLS. And that's a little bit worrying to me. I, from a long-term perspective, I think this is really cool, right? 
because I do think that the potential for it is really interesting, and I think they can do a lot of good things, and the fact that the fire will be the big fish in this relationship I think is fantastic. But from a short-term perspective, I'm like, really? Like, this is how you're acting after the last two seasons with this organization and with this guy running the show? I don't know. It's surprising to me from that. Front. I think I think there's a, a level of confidence in in George Heights, and we talk about this all the time. I think the way I've put it before is, when you hire a sporting director from abroad without MLS experience and somebody who kind of is going to go on their own with it, you're you're hiring a buffer period. You're hiring a learning period. You're hiring. You're saying we're not going to get it for two years. We're going to need two years to learn what not to do and then hopefully learn what not to do. And some people learn and some people don't. I think there's a level of confidence clearly that George Heights has learned quickly what works in MLS and what doesn't. And I think you can look at some of his signings in the second go round. I mean, I, I think that's fair. I'm Luka not saying he hasn't learned. I think he probably, he, I'm sure he probably has. Sure. But that, like, turning this team around and rebuilding that roster is going to be a serious lift. But, but, but you can say that and, and we, we don't really know what kind of lift exists in Lugano's roster. Maybe very little to nothing, right? And, and maybe the sporting yeah. director there has things covered for now and he can focus this January on just the fire and then kind of pivot and say, okay. And in that focus on the fire, maybe say, okay, I found and identified these five players who we won't have room for at the fire, who are younger, who I think have potential. And I'm going to sign those five players to Lugano. And I'm going to sign these other 10 players to Chicago. You can work that in concert. I do agree it is going to be difficult. But I think what what's important here is the idea clearly that they think of these two teams as one roster. If that's the case, it simplifies the job and the task. You know, obviously, I think I or you, one of us has to go dive into this, probably me because of the story, aforementioned story that I'm quote unquote working on um, quote unquote. that's been happening for a long time and also not happening for a long time. But I think it's been not happening for longer than it's been happening. It's definitely been not happening for longer than it's been happening. But, you know, it's not like I have anything coming up this fall. There's not like a World Cup qualifiers no. or anything else happening that I need to focus on. But the point being that if you're if you're structuring this and again we haven't seen this before in mls my guess is if you're structuring this is we're going to kind of think about this as one big roster you know instead of having an mls league de team we're <laughs> going to think of it as you know chicago fire and then lugano and we're gonna we're gonna use all of those resources together to create one pool of players yeah then i think it could work and and i i would guess that's the strategy my my other guess would be that it's going to be a little bit of time before you get that working as one. And my guess symbiotic is you prioritize Chicago Fire yeah. in January, and then you kind of start to build out Chicago Fire player potential in Lugano's roster over the next windows after that. Well, two great cities by two different lakes, so they have not in Scandinavia, come. Switzerland. About not twelve hundred miles or so away. Whoa, 1,200. Did you look that up? No, I just pulled it out of this section of my brain. That, um, just like you. I have random facts about uh, I don't Swiss, think you're right. Swiss geography. I don't think you're right. I'm going to look it up during the commercial break. We'll be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we are back. Third and final segment of Allocation Disorder for this week. We're going to just talk. We're just going to take a little spin around the globe, you know, continue our geography theme. Uh, Paul, by the way, I I looked it up Um, from the middle of Switzerland to the middle of Denmark, which is in Scandinavia, uh, 749 miles, 746 miles. Sorry. So you were you weren't really that close. Uh, It depends on the route you take, you know, is it as the crow flies? Is it, you know, a drive? That was actually walking. I don't know why I looked it up walking. It would take 249 hours in case you're curious. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's, you know, we're not going to be walking from Switzerland to Denmark, as fun as that sounds. Um, we are going to be watching MLS. We have been watching MLS. We have been watching some games in Europe. There's a lot going on right now, man. Uh, there was a full slate of midweek games this week in MLS, I think nine on Wednesday, two on Tuesday. The Rapids who I just finished an article about, who I've been talking about for a while. They can't stop winning. They're fourth in the league in points per game right now, which is pretty remarkable and I think worth mentioning. Um, I watched Nashville-Orlando on Wednesday night. Pretty fun, entertaining match. Two teams that I think are going to have something to say in the Eastern Conference Conference come playoff time. Um, so that's going to be interesting. But I know you wanted to talk about some national team-related items. So what you got for me? Well, I just think there are some interesting decisions that Greg Berhalter is going to have to make ahead of qualification. And like you said, we're we're not that far away from that call-up happening. Um, I mean, you and I are flying in a little bit more than a week to Nashville for the start of camp. So there's really two games left for players to make their impression in Europe. Maybe a few more than that if you're in MLS, though with the All-Star break, probably not. Probably one game left. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe two, I guess, on the weekend after the All-Star game. And... You know, I think there are two positions that are really, really interesting to me. Center back and forward. Um, forward, Jossie Zardes seems to have picked up an injury, a hamstring injury. That's a huge blow for this U.S. Yeah, national team. Huge. Josh Sargent, meanwhile, moves to the Premier League. To Norwich. To Norwich. And he is not starting. He's not playing as a number nine yet. Or at least he, he didn't in the first game. Came off the bench. Yeah. Still you know, pretty early. He's playing for a team that's not very good, not expected to be very good, not expected to get they, a ton of but they do play they do play some decent attacking soccer there. Yeah, we'll see what kind of chances he gets. Um they've certainly the discussion among from our colleagues about Sargent's role is interesting that they're talking about running a different formation than they used all of last year, and that that formation would probably have Sargent playing underneath Pookie as the as a as a Pookie. As an uh attacking Player, not an out-and-out striker, but secondary striker, kind of underneath forward, in that secondary yeah. role, maybe with another secondary striker next to him. Sure. Um, so, you know, I think there are some big questions. Um, I also wanted to use this discussion about the number nine to bring up that person I promised I would bring up earlier, who is another person who's quickly risen up the ranks of Sam's favorite people, um, who I don't think actually has a shot to be considered for this job, but I'm using it as an excuse to bring him up. Kate Cowell, who oh. loves to lift. 
you know, had had just just so many great colorful moments that Sam enjoyed in Felipe's piece about him. But I just feel like you connect to his broness. And I just want yeah, to bring that up. I mean, like anyone that knows me knows I'm not, you know, hitting the weights super hard. Um, <laughs> but Cade Cowell is, he's doing it for both of us. You know, it was, it was so funny. I was cracking up reading this article. I was, I was actually, I actually told Felipe who wrote a piece about Cade Cowell that dropped this week to ask him how much he benches. And, uh, he did. And Cade was like, Oh, 245 easy, but I could bench more if the team actually let me lift. <laughs> <laughs> he he grew up when he was 13 or something his dad put a gym basically they built a gym in the backyard and they called it the prison yard he played for a youth team called ballistic united like he's just i mean he's just an extreme kind of guy Cade cowell you know and uh yeah i think he could be one for the future i don't think he's getting called up this window but he, he but, definitely is getting called up in sam's favorite mls player ranking um so anyways, i mean i one one last thing yeah he's somehow like like got kind of Wando weird Johnny Appleseed status while being the complete physical opposite of Chris Wondolowski. <laughs> For sure. Um, but look at the striker situation, Sam. If Jossie's hurt, DK hasn't been playing in Orlando because of his injuries that he picked mm-hmm. up with the national team. Sargent's in this kind of weird hybrid spot right now. I'm, he's going to yeah. get called up for sure. But, you know, he's in this this new change and this new role. You know, where do you go? Do you go to PFOC? Do you go to Sabachu, whatever we're going to call him? I think PFOC you know, is, is what he prefers, what he prefers yeah. according to his Twitter profile. Um, yeah. Where are we turning here? Do you call Pepe? There are reports out of Mexico that Pepe is going to choose Mexico. You know, do you do you call him? He's not not based on locking him in as a dual national, based on his form as a number nine. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I do. To answer that question. Um, he's been scoring a ton of goals with Dallas. He's doing some good things. There's also the thing where you want to lock him in if he's interested. So yeah, I make a push for him for sure. Maybe we see Matthew Hoppy get a shot at striker. Yeah, it's not a you bad know shot. that like we saw him on the wing in the Gold Cup. That's not really where he plays naturally, right? His natural position is as a number nine. So maybe we see that. I would be curious to see that. I'd be interested in that. Uh, but I think I think it's pretty much you know I guess we'll see the extent of Zardis's injury. But it seems like Sargent's going to be the first choice for those three games, even despite all those things that you mentioned with the club situation. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I think we'll both dive into that and maybe write a piece just kind of on a roster prediction, that sort of thing, um, here in the next few days. But, yeah, it feels like Sargent and PFOC and, and maybe Hoppy. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe Gio Reyna. Maybe if you want to play him in kind of a number nine role. I, I don't know. I, I don't think I would do that, but maybe it's a possibility. So, um, yeah, it's not great. Obviously less than ideal, but it is what it is. It's kind of the the biggest question mark in terms of a position group, I think, that I have. But you wanted to talk about center backs. Yeah, too. I just think that there, again, is an interesting decision to be made of which center backs to bring. I think there are two who 100% are getting called. John Brooks and Miles Robinson. I think those two start the game yeah. for the U.S. Zimmerman's it, back playing again. He's that's the other again. one. So when you look beyond those two, you have Walker Zimmerman. You know, Miazga looks like he's moving to Alaves, but he hasn't been playing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm guessing he's out. Eric Palmer Brown looking for a move, hasn't been playing. I'm guessing he's out. He might end up at Venezia. I, their owner told me just yesterday that they're still trying to get that done. 
Tim Ream is playing again in the championship. Greg Berhalter looks at him as a favorite. Maybe he brings him. He has experience in World Cup qualifiers. I could see him coming. Expanded Mc- squad feels like Ream's getting a call. Today. Yeah, McKenzie hasn't really been. I, I don't know. Does McKenzie get a call? You, I just think that Richards has remained with Bayern for now, but mm-hmm. hasn't been playing. Does he get a call? Does Greg Berhalter just want to take a look at him? You know, can you afford to do that if you're bringing Ream? I just think there are some question marks about what happens beyond those first two. And I also think, Sam, this is just something I'm thinking about for when we actually see the team on the field. I think Miles Robinson's ability to defend in space is going to end up impacting who gets called at fullback. Because I think ideally you put Miles Robinson next to Serginho Dest. Because Serginho Dest likes to go forward and stay forward. His defending with the national team has been shaky. And Miles Mm -hmm. Robinson is your best center back by far isolated in space. And, I, yeah. and so I think you play Serginho Dest as a right back so that he can play next to Miles Robinson, which means Anthony Robinson, Sam Vines are suddenly going to be more important to this team. And, you know, Joe Scally started at left back for Gladbach. He's a right footed player against Bayern. Against and he Bayern did great. Munich, and he did well. <laughs> you know, he's not yeah. going to be playing often. You know, they have a starter at left back there who's, you know, one of the star players of the team. But maybe he gets called in. You know, maybe he gets called in to, to have a shot and, and to be seen up close. It's it's a totally new beast because it's World Cup qualifiers. There's not really room to get a first look at guys. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just think Miles Robinson kind of changes the dynamics on the back line in that way. So interesting, interesting choices for Burhalter to make. Who starts in that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's going to be Brooks and and Miles Robinson. No, in goal. In goal. I, I think Zach Steffen starts in goal. Um, you know, he had a good performance for City in, in the you know, Community Shield. In the Community yeah. Shield, turns out he can also make saves. So you know, surprisingly, um, it is surprising. It's shock. I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought? I, I I think Matt Turner will be there, but I think Zach Steffen will be playing in the first first round of games. Sounds reasonable enough to me. Um, one last thing here before we before we go, I just wanted to note Jesse Marsh. He lost his first game in charge of RB Leipzig. It's an all-American Bundesliga coaching matchup on Friday between Jesse March and Pellegrino Matarazzo, who many of you are probably hearing about for the first time. He is from New Jersey. These guys actually, I think Jesse remembered playing against him in college in the Ivy League. Jesse went to to Princeton and Matarazzo went to Columbia. I don't actually know that they overlapped, um, but just kind of an interesting footnote. They're playing RB Leipzig and Stuttgart on Friday. Uh, so for those of you with ESPN plus, you can check that one out anyway. Um, that is time. That is our time for this week, Paul. Uh, it's been fun. You know, we had to record like two or three times or something. I can't even really remember. We talked about Guy Fieri. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening to allocation disorder brought to you by diners, drive-ins and dives. Well, Sam, I know you just tried to end it there, but I just want to say, I'm I did excited. end it there. I'm, How dare I'm, you? I'm right excited now. for an end of year at some point, you know, mix of all the things I've messed up on this show, the words I've mispronounced. Yeah. Like, names like trying wrong, to extend the show right now. Trying for instance, to put might be the number one. What are you doing right now? I just, I just want to make sure I note that that's something I'd like to do. Okay. Thanks. <laughs>